On this episode of Resi Week, COVID elevates smart home security, locking down that security, and being a brand believer. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 282, Toilet Paper and Cameras. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, we are pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Richard Fergosa. He's the principal at Fergosa Design. How's California treating you today, my friend? Hello, West Coast greetings. We, uh, we've evaded our heat wave. Everybody up uh, the Pacific Northwest instead, and everybody to the other side in Arizona has got it. So we're chilling right now. I'm digging it. I like it. I like it. Then from the East Coast, from uh, New York City, we have Jen Steinhardt. Uh, you might know her as Nerdy Girl Online, uh, but she is a service coordinator for Electronic Environments. How are you doing, Jen? Doing good. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to kick off today uh, with an entertaining story that comes to us from CE Pro. Uh, research is showing that COVID-19 has elevated smart home security use and has increased safety concerns. This uh, comes from some research from Parks Associates, who we all know fairly well. Uh, essentially, a large portion of consumers are investing in their home, working on, obviously, adapting smart home solutions, as well as being a little bit more concerned with security than normal, uh, including specifically 39% of U.S. broadband households who have a vacation or rental property are incredibly concerned about the safety and security of that secondary property with 95% of them intending to purchase a smart home device uh, in the next year. Rich, let me start with you on this. Is this, is this something that is a, a an actual threat? Is, is this a perceived threat or is this just a, a lack of information? And, and what I mean by that is, are, are consumers more concerned about safety and security in their home because they feel that there's there is a threat or is it just they're they're home a lot more or they're not going to that secondary that, that secondary residence and they don't know what's going on there is that all it is it's a convergence uh you know and honestly the the biggest reason for it is it got affordable uh you know you can step into any superstore or you know, Target or, you know, I mean, you can literally buy, you know, toilet paper and surveillance cameras at this point. Um, so, so, you know, what we found and, and, you know, recently we've been Airbnb in a lot um, ourselves just because where we're social distancing at our newly purchased gold claim. Uh, but uh, it, it, we did learn a lot about the uses of the technology, because if you do have a, you know, and again, this is people with multiple residences or rental income and, you know, Airbnb, you have to now consider it as something that people are looking at. I mean, there was the crash because of the pandemic, but as it's coming out, we're seeing that travel is just going completely haywire right now. I mean, it is, I mean, it is the floodgates have opened. And so, 
um, it does make it easier for a couple of things from a remote location to inexpensively be either be able to allow entrance and egress, whether it's somebody who is, uh, you know, a housekeeper who's there every you know other week or guests or friends. Uh, and more importantly, it is the, the security and, and, and the ability of the peace of mind. I would say in terms of my relationship at home, uh, the surveillance cameras that we have have nothing to do with the actual security elements. It has to do with the personal comfort. Um, of our family. They, they like knowing that it's available to them. If I happen not to be home, it's something that they find comfort in at this point. And again, it's become affordable. And that is the key element. Uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, when we were dealing with analog cameras, it was not a small undertaking. Um, you know, video recorders themselves, storing data was not an easy thing. Uh, now, literally, every person has their surveillance monitor in their hand. And that's really, you know, we've said it so many times, right? Mobile led the way. Mm -hmm. Once mobile allowed the opportunity for people to have a better viewpoint of their home and their personal safety, and again, that peace of mind, once it, once it reached the, uh, once it reached the, the level where uh, people would go, yeah, a couple hundred bucks, you know, for to see who came to the door or if Amazon's there. You know, again, porch pirates, right? That That's mm -hmm. the big news. Uh, and honestly, you know what makes me laugh the most? Probably what I've seen as one of the biggest motivators are um, the little local community uh, chat hubs like uh, Nextdoor. <laughs> you know, that winds up driving it more than anything else. And... Uh, you know, and, and there is, and, and you, you know, again, depending on what part of the country that you're in, um, there are areas where petty thefts are significantly increasing. And so you can't also turn a blind eye to that because there is um, thefts of opportunity. Uh, and we found that for a couple hundred dollars, you can go ahead and at least provide some measure of deterrence to it. And like I said, I don't think it's really about being able to put surveillance footage and show it to the police and, you know, anything like that. It, it's it's an inexpensive way to provide deterrence and peace of mind. Yeah, very good. Jen, w when you see this, is what is the way in which you offer this without sounding like a, a scare tactic? I, is there an easy way to, to pitch this to a client who hasn't asked for it mm -hmm. uh, without, again, you know, Sounding like, hey, you got to be careful of those porch pirates. Right. You definitely don't want to scare anyone into anything, whether it's, um, you know, surveillance security or if it's a, a security feature, um, like even something looking like it, water leaks and things like that. Like you don't want to scare them into it. Um, but like Rich was talking about, it is about that peace of mind. If you're not going to be there that often or also a lot of people are alone uh, during this pandemic and things like that, that even if it's a residence that it's not a second location that they're actually in um, to know what's going on and things like that um, is it's all about that peace of mind. Um, I, I have to grease wholeheartedly that that's that's the fundamentals of it is what can we do to be supporting you um, while you're not there and uh, keeping an eye on what's going on. Um, in terms of also monitoring their systems as well. Yeah, very good. All right, moving on to a, a, another story that comes to us from CE Pro and kind of dovetails a little bit 
uh, into the first one, but is a uh, an uh, an owner's like absolute worst, as Rich is shaking his head, an owner's worst nightmare. <laughs> Uh, an ADT technician was giving a f- or was given a 52 month sentence for a home video hack. Uh, this this individual uh, was sentenced to 52 months in prison after repeatedly locking into female customers' ADT accounts to view their video feeds. Uh, it, it looks like he accessed over 200 uh, customer accounts over. 9,600 times without their consent. Essentially, he was adding his personal email address as a uh, uh, someone with access to those cameras and would either uh, say that it was for testing purposes uh, or he would just do it without even uh, letting them know and then obviously accessing them afterwards. Uh, they don't get into how he was caught, but this is definitely, you know, one of those things that would keep me up at night as an owner. Um, Jen, when you, when you see this story and this is, I, I can't stress how much this stresses me out, <laughs> uh, knowing that we've got technicians in the field and, and, you know, they've got background checks, they've got all that stuff, but you still, it's really hard to know what your techs are doing when they're in the field. Is there any way to ensure the, the the safety of your customers from your employees without literally you know just watching everything they're doing and, and checking absolutely everything it's a really good question and it's a really important question um i also say from a women's perspective as well is that Um, from a very young age, we're always taught to look for cameras. I mean, you go into a hotel room and we're looking for cameras. Um, And so this huge, disgusting breach of distrust is is something that when you're monitoring systems like this, having policies and procedures and documentation, if you're remoting in, why are you remoting in? What did you do that if you have this policy in place um, it's one thing that you can do to make sure um, that there's a reason for what you're doing. Um, and most things that you're troubleshooting, you don't need to necessarily see what the camera's seeing either. Like, is it online? Mm-hmm. Do I need to reboot it? Um, and having a policy for why you are remoting in to visually see what that camera's seeing. Um, I like to think I, there has to be more, there should be more um, but from a technician standpoint and a service standpoint, um, that's why I'd say I. So so gross. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so bad. I, yeah. I saw it and just oh yeah, it's it's not cool. Um, and, and and I would argue and maybe add that I can guarantee you this was a massive violation of his ADT employment, you know, uh, contract and and all of their service aspects, right? Um, There's no way that this was ever uh, encouraged. Rich, when you when you see this, there are things that we can do as an industry, and and as companies to limit the likelihood of this happening. I know, in, in my personal company, we have a pretty hard and fast rule that we don't put cameras inside a home anywhere, 
They don't go into bedrooms. They don't go into, you know, outside restrooms. They are, they're not inside. If you want to, if you want a camera inside, you can, you know, go buy a, a ring camera or whatever and put it in yourself. We don't touch those because the privacy liability is way too high. What's the, what is the common sense approach that, that maybe isn't as far reaching as mine? Well, you know, first off, I mean, ADT was a huge company. And so when you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of employees and, you know, this, this one employee did it over the course of, you know, four and a half years. The fact that there was one breach, you know, is just unforgivable, much less, you know, the, he said 200 breaches, you know, in the course of four and a half years, that's still 200 too many. Uh, but policies were, policies were in place. And, you know, it's like they say is once you try to make something idiot proof, they built a better idiot. And so that's what happened here. Um, and, you know, I think that you always have to consider, um, and, and, you know, I've had larger companies and, and I specifically went back to bespoke and personalized service for a reason because of my client base. Um, and I have, because of my nature of what we do, I have access to a ton of sensitive information. So I'm hypersensitive to this stuff. Um, we always have talks with our clients about this, about, look, you know, here, here's the point of where I'm comfortable with. I understand what you're asking for. If we're going to go down this route, you know, I'm married to you. I, I have more information available to me for some of my clients than their spouses do. Um, and that's something that from a business standpoint, depending on your, your product mix and your market, you know, if your goal is to put in, uh, you know, not necessarily a DIY system, but a do it with me system. You know, and so you're going to be partnering with, um, you know, the the rings and the nests and all of those that are out there, the commodity products or Vivint or, you know, whoever ADT renames themselves to be. Uh, you're going to have to have hard and fast policies with the technicians who are allowed to. There should be an auditing process. Uh, you know, all of the things that Jen said, you know, th those should be in place no matter what. Your first line of defense is what you just said, Matt. You know, again, we do not do interior. We do not uh, provide any interior uh, services, perimeter only, deterrence, dot, dot, dot. However, uh, you do have clients who say, no, this is what I feel, you know, I, I want to have it for whatever reason. And I, you know, for all of the systems that we've put in, every one of them has, a has had a different reason. Uh, and so what we normally suggests is the first line of defense, which is, okay, first we're going to document this, that you are requesting this. So if nothing else, we're going to go back and say, hey, remember on June 15th, X date, you requested the interior. And also remember that we offered that we're going to put in a physical shunt. So when you do want privacy, there was a physical method for you to deliberately and and consciously disconnect yourself from the system then you know at that point that thing does not come back on until you physically turn it back on it's not automated it doesn't do anything on its own you make that decision to either engage or disengage one of the things that josh ai came up with you know uh, with with their new micros people more than ever value their privacy but they also value their convenience. And so you have to walk a very narrow line 
between privacy and convenience. And as long as you provide that information of here's the pros, here's the cons, it's not my job to put to, it's not my job to make the decision. It's my job to inform you. Mm -hmm. Once I inform you and then you make the calculated decision based on that, we'll support it. Again, a big part of it though, and again, where, where, where we have to look at it is that as a technology advisor, you know, Yes, the, the answer is yes to a client. If they're looking for it, you have to educate them to the consequences. Once you've educated them to the consequences and they say, yeah, I can live with it. I'm okay with that. Great. Um, you move ahead. If you have a client who says, no, I'm hesitant, then you go, okay, great. That's what I'm here for, to protect you from yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and really, you know, that is the difference. And, and I've always been a believer with you know kind of the CD channel and the education channel and the dealer roundtables and and the the networking is that those are the real world use cases uh you know i mean you guys are probably too young to remember but there was rob gerhardt who was uh you know one of the original cedia members he taught an entire class on how to screw things up with a client and it was filled with war stories and horror stories and in kid you not one of the most valuable classes that that attendees could have gone to over the years because it is an example of here's where it can go wrong in the real world to potentially put you out of business mm -hmm. and newer integrators um, have the luxury of technology have the luxury of a web search um, and there's a false hubris that you know I mean inexperience breeds hubris right because you haven't you haven't you haven't burnt your hand on the stove yet and so a big part of this process, like, you know, that we were looking at with this is that if you've done it enough times and you've, you've screwed up enough times and still managed to stay in business, you should have those fail safes in place to be able to question yourself and be consistent. That's the key, right? A lot of times you're dealing with it after the fact. And the hardest part is the consistency from the beginning. That actually reminds me to just talking about fail safes is that whatever software you're using, if you have the ability to send alerts when a resource is added, um, that's another fail safe that you can do. Mm -hmm. If someone like a technician adds themselves after the fact, so you've set them up or something like that. Yeah, yeah. taking advantage of the, uh, the software that's out there is huge. And know that there will always be idiot 2.0 out there. So, you know, always. and you might hire them. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on to our last story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Systems and our friend Katie McGregor Bennett, a brand to believe in. Uh, go check out the article. She covers a lot of really good things, uh, especially uh, essentially talking about uh, why we as integrators and, and manufacturers, for that matter, uh, need to create and craft a unique story uh, to attract the customers that you want to serve. She gives the example of, of Sonos and some of the things that they do in crafting that story, as well as Leon. Rich, let me let me come back and, and start this with you on. Um, do, does the industry, do integrators do we severely lack uh, not only the ability to to properly tell the story, but really the the lack of desire to do it? We we seem very caught up and just busy with with work. That when we do look at the the marketing aspect and and selling ourselves, that it's much more the 
I'm going to put together a lookbook. I'm going to redo the website. I'm going to post a little bit more on Instagram opposed to really trying to, and I hate to say mission statement, but, you know, kind of coming up with that, uh, that ethos that your company is, that identity, and then marketing off that. Yeah, we're screwing it up. <laughs> I, you know, you know I, so I, Jen. <laughs> so let's 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 consider this, right? Let's let's consider our industry, and um, again, going back to Hubris, uh, I see companies sometimes, you know, 30, 40, 50 employees, two and a half million dollars in sales. Okay, let's take a step back and do some basic math. Based upon that, you're not doing a very good job of being in business. <laughs> you're just not. So this goes back to why the CDA channel, why the custom channel was built. And, and what I love about Katie is that without saying it, she's saying, go back to your roots. Okay, this was Matt had the opportunity over the course of the time when I first met him. Um, to be introduced to my mentors mm -hmm. and, and the people who started me. And I think Matt could probably agree that one of the key points of everybody who I introduced him to, who I held in high regard, is they generated that unique cult of personality to make you feel listened to, to make you feel as if that moment with you, you know, again, it, and it translates to clients, you were important. The current industry, and again, it's just because technology has changed the the process of how people live in their homes. Um, you know, custom is, you know, there's bespoke and bespoke is always going to be bespoke. Um, but that is a, a shrinking, shrinking slice of the pie. And so everybody wants to do bespoke. Most companies don't have the ability to or the desire to when it really comes down to it. So now you're dealing with the low hanging fruit, right? Here are the projects that I can get out. What can we make money on? What can we get in, get out on? And so I think what you were alluding to is, is companies asking themselves, who are we? Who are we really as a company? And what do we believe in? Which is, you know, really what this is, is about. And, and it, to me, it always goes back to going back to roots um, and getting back to what made you successful in the first place. Um, we always have a saying with our clients that is, if you don't walk away feeling that I absolutely spoiled you, then I'm not doing my job. Reason being is I work exclusively on referral. We're a small company. We're a boutique firm by choice because we know that we can only do so many projects at once. We, we can, you know, that's, that's the double-edged sword for us is that we know that we, once we hit a threshold, we can't go past that because then our service drops. A larger company, 20, 30, 40 people, some of these larger mergers that are happening, you got 150 mouths, 200 mouths to feed. Um, you darn well better be able to figure out how to keep your DNA of what kept you successful and impart it on your employees. Because again, what's happening is we're seeing this new generation employees coming in. That's part of the problem is that you know, again, they can Google it. They can they can read what they think is they've gathered the information and then they're an expert. But without experience and without a failure, um, you have not gained expertise. And expertise is built on failure, not on success. And so 
successful brands have learned that and said, okay, you know, we, we know the things we're bad at, so let's try to improve it. And then they take that out into the market and then they create that, that feeling again of, like I said, of, you know, whether it's dealing with dealers or if it's a manufacturer or a distributor or something, loyalty comes from the fact that you feel as if you're being looked out for. Um, it, and it's an unspoken and that's a tough one. Uh, but it does come back to internally as a company, how, how, how do you decide to focus your DNA? Um, you know, it's, it's always, like you said, it's, it's always the, always the running joke that we have when we hit the show floor, when you ask somebody how they're doing, 99.9% of them will say, oh yeah, we're doing great. We've got more jobs than we ever had. You start doing the math in the industry and you divide it behind the companies, you're like, great, awesome, good job. Three years later, 40% of those groups are gone. Um, <laughs> you know, who are you trying to impress? And, and that's it, is that, you know, being a brand is learning how to operate with humility and gratitude that people are actually willing to invest with you, whatever that amount is. Jen, let me uh, mm -hmm. have you wrap this up for us. One of the hard takeaways that, you know, Rich kind of alluded to, and I'm going to directly allude to, is I feel that brand identity is semi-dependent on your client base and your clientele. There is a huge brand story with Leon and, and Sonos. Their brand stories are arguably fairly dramatically different because Leon serves a market and Sonos serves a market. And then you go down that line to House of Marley, who sells in Best Buy. And I use that because that's the only thing that came to mind as a cheap speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what their brand story is. I'm sure they have one, but I have no idea. Within the residential industry, do you, is there a point in spending the time and money, the investment to create a brand story if you are a subcontractor to a large home builder and all you ever do is pre-wires? Right. I'm a firm believer in um, si Simon Sinek's Start With Why, which is something I think Rich was kind of referring to when he says, um, to go back to your roots. Oh. <laughs> if you're just listening, Jen just lost all of her lights because I'm assuming you've got a motion the, the, sensor. <laughs> hey, the, the sensors work, guys. <laughs> firm believer of Simon Sinek's Start With Why, regardless if you're a big company, small company, B2B, B2C, subcontractor or manufacturer is that your brand is your reputation. Um, it matters on what it is. It, it informs the decisions that you're making as a company, um, even if you're a freelancer, and it informs how you connect with your buyers, whoever they are. Um, a lot of times we think of brand identities and as we need to have either some philanthropy involvement or um, we need to have this big grand story um, but even if you know you know what, I just want to make great speakers I just want to make great X um, you need to have a story of some sorts um, to drive everything that you do yeah very good I uh, I will echo that that book is phenomenal if you have not read it go check it out uh, all right, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both for joining us. Jen, if people want to connect with you, learn more about electronic environments, where can they do that? 
I would recommend you can connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, you can find me on the interwebs um, nerdygirlav.com um, and you can connect with Electronic Environments at electronicenvironments.net. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Uncle Richie, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Fergosa Design, where can they do that? Well, uh, like Jen said, uh, type my name in the interwebs. Uh, I'll pop up for various reasons. Uh, hopefully most of them are good. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at rfergosa, um, the, the, the website. Uh, but honestly, as I always say, the best place I hope you can find me is here on Navy Nation TV with our Swedish shows, obviously with my good friend Matt here on Resi Week, uh, also with my partner in crime, Steve Greenblatt, on our show, A State of Control, which specializes in just the control system automation programming life. Uh, but also our, you know, giant bucket of other shows. That's mm -hmm. the best place you can find us to support us here and obviously our uh, sponsors. Yeah, very much so. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Resi Week.